you look at Glassdoor, you look at G2 Crowd, you're looking at who the messenger is as a way to make your decisions about who to interview, right? So that is the story of our time. We have not applied for a single best place to work award, not one. And the reason why is it's a sham. And I think that everyone sees through it. Okay, the way you win those awards is you fill out this huge long form, you coax your people to fill it out and you strongly suggest to them that they fill it out in the right way. We don't do that, right? For us, Glassdoor is our arbiter. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. In the third and final episode of this three-part mini-series with Mark Oregon, exec chairman and founder of Influitive, and original founder and former CEO of Eloqua, he says best place to work awards are a sham. He talks about Marshall McLuhan's famous quote, the medium is the message. Today he feels the messenger is the message. He explains how writing a book was tough and reflects on how Lego is the king of advocate marketing. He also suggests that his hometown of Toronto is right in the middle of a golden age. dig a little bit deeper into advocacy. I know you consider authenticity and communications to be crucial uh, for success. And in your conference, Abacamp, you said that the future belongs to companies that develop and mobilize advocates as their primary goal. If we make our users successful, will they not just become advocates anyway? Um, no, I mean, I think that's my foundational insight is that even if they do become advocates anyway, you can be, have them become much more powerful advocates, right? So you could have somebody who advocates by giving you a referral once a year, or you can have somebody who's willing to take a reference call every week and participate in your product roadmaps and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, I think by um, giving people feedback, by making them feel uh, special uh, and giving them social capital, you can, get, you can generate a lot more advocacy. And it is really important. I mean, if you look at, Almost every industry leader out there is also the advocacy leader. Absolutely. Uh, and that's in B2C, and that's in B2B, and it comes down to actually some very simple economics. If you have an army full of unpaid people who are really, really good at selling your product and marketing your product and, and uh, coming up with new ideas for improving your product, and they're better than your own people because they, while, while they may be ignorant about a lot of things, they are fluent in customerese. Right? Yes, they yes, speak yes. their own language very well. They know their own needs very well. Um, and so if you have an army of people who are incredibly competent at customerese, um, you're going to win. So, um, Influitive definitely has a dominant position in the brand advocacy software department in G2 Crowd. It's one of the selectors I use, Mark, when I, when I, when I ask great people like you to do the, the interviews. Here's a question for you. Would you rather dominate a G2 Crowd quadrant or a Gartner quadrant? <laughs> and why? Yeah. <laughs> Most certainly a G2 Crowd quadrant. Um, and that is because it is the real thing, right? Uh, people today know that um, 
that you know the, the the masses in aggregate are more accurate than some when some expert says. And, and and this is actually true for the first time last year in the Edelman Trust Survey, people trust their peers now more than experts. And a Gartner reviewer is an expert. We have not applied for a single best place to work award. Not one. And the reason why is it's a sham. And I think that everyone sees through it. Okay, the way you win those awards is you fill out this huge long form, you coax your people to fill it out and you strongly suggest to them that they fill it out in the right way. We don't do that, right? For us, Glassdoor is our arbiter. And we never ask people to do a Glassdoor review. They do it on their own. And, you know, for us, that is the way we uh, way we market to employees is through Glassdoor, not through these artificial awards. And so I see a Gartner Quadrant is very similar to a best place to work award, whereas G2 Crowd is a real deal. You can't fudge it. You can't fudge that. So um, you're, you're, you're preaching to the converted. I also use Glassdoor as one of the selectors. And you know, when I look at G2 Crowd, Glassdoor, and all these things, I'm really looking at the company. You know, the app, the, app, the, the, the platform, what, you know, it's really, they just tell you what, where that company is, is likely to go in the next few years, I think. Um, yep. uh, you wrote and published um, The Messenger is the Message. Tell me about that book. Sure. Um, well, it's, it's about The Messenger is the Message, which is a bit of a takeoff from uh, the phrase, uh, The Medium is the Message, that was coined by Marshall McLuhan. And, and the, the idea is that. The idea for McLuhan is actually the, the best way to understand the nature of a society is to understand the, the, the media that it uses. And he was active during the age of television where these really smart marketers could almost literally program their audience, you know, that were leaning back in their living rooms and you could program people, uh, you know, with, with, with um, you know, the right kind of advertisements. This is the age of the madmen, right? Um, but today, the medium. Uh, or the, is, or is, is the messenger, right? Is that what you said, you look at Glassdoor, you look at G2 Crowd, you're looking at who the messenger is as a way to make your decisions about who to interview, right? So that is the story of our time. Um, and that's what the book is about, is about um, uh, how to generate more messengers for your company, um, you know, we really break it down and, and operationalize it so people can read the book and uh, whether they use our technology or not, even if they do something as simple as get their happy customers together with their prospects for a dinner a couple times a year, that's good. It's actually high ROI. Everyone should do that, by the way. Everybody who's listening to this should get their customers and prospects together for a dinner. Uh, every now and again. It's very inexpensive and Absolutely. you'll probably generate a 20 times return on investment um, if, if you do that. Um, but, um, but that's what the book's about. There's lots of inspiring stories from iconic companies, but also companies you've never heard of that are winning because of their focus on delighting customers and mobilizing them as their way to going to market and not drowning the world in ads and emails and, and, and their websites and whatnot. Uh, it's a much more human way to go to market. Absolutely. Was the process tough? Process of um, writing a book? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was very tough. Um, I rewrote the book probably four or five times. Uh, what I was lucky is that I had a deadline that I had to hit. Um, and uh, which I also advise anybody who's writing a book, give yourself a real deadline because otherwise you will polish that thing forever. Um, but I wanted to launch it before AdvoCamp in 2017, so we did get it out the door. Um, and it was a great experience, though. It was difficult, but um, 
probably the best thing about writing a book is it really forced me to know my subject matter well. I thought I knew what I was doing, but then when you have to write things in an elegant way to explain it to people efficiently and economically, you have to really know your subject matter well to build those frameworks. And also, it was great because it, um, it forced me to get out there and uh, interview some people that I wouldn't ordinarily talk to. Cool. Um, so I, I talked to senior executives at Lego, for example, um, the founder CEO of OnePlus, sort of an iconic uh, new um, you know, cell phone company in China. So you got a bit uh, of travel in. You were in Denmark for Lego. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, that was, those are both web, uh, thank okay, God, okay. thank goodness for web conferences. <laughs> but, um, but um, you know, I talked to some really interesting folks, um, particularly in the B2C area, uh, that you know, normally my company focuses a lot on B2B. Mm. But you know, for a lot of things, you know, B2C leads by four or five years in marketing. Absolutely. So I mean, Lego has been so ahead of the curve uh, with, with, with respect to uh, advocate marketing. Um, I, I have in my office a, a box of Lego that uh, is the Saturn V rocket. And uh, it was designed by an ordinary person. And Lego has a process where anybody can submit an idea for a new product. And if it gets voted up enough times, they'll actually build a prototype. And if people want to build a prototype, they'll actually create a product and it will give you 1% of wow. 1 of the revenue. That's very cool. Which is remarkable for a privately held you know, family-run company. It's a brilliant company. idea. Yeah. It's a brilliant idea. Um, but they've been doing this for 10 years. right? So. Um, I, 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 in order for me to talk to people about what the future of advocate marketing was going to look like, I needed to speak with some of the people who were the biggest visionaries. A lot of those were on the consumer side and companies that we actually don't serve uh, at, at Influted. Uh, so I'm really grateful for having that experience. Um, and the tech world, probably most people in the tech world don't appreciate how brilliant uh, some of, some of the, the, the minds have to be to succeed in a consumer world that's existed for decades. True. That predates all of this. Um, I, I, to I totally agree, right? Um, you know, we're, in, in many ways, we're lucky in the SaaS space that, uh, well, for a lot of us, we have a product. We actually have a product. Um, like imagine being a service marketer. Like I've been in the service business before where you're selling something that is invisible and can't touch it. So we actually have a product it's probably got a number of points of uniqueness about it um, versus selling plastic bricks, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is a very, uh, you know, but, you know, what Lego doesn't think they're in a plastic brick business at all. <laughs> they think they're in the same business that Disney's in. Yeah. Um, and again, that's back to this idea of having this different lens on the world can be a source of incredible value and differentiation. But yeah, I think if you're selling something that you know the world thinks is a commodity, you, you have to innovate a lot in the way you go to market, uh, which a number of these companies that I talked to have. You must be excited. Uh, you're still working out of Toronto, right? I am. Yeah. yeah. So you must be excited that Collision has decided to move from New Orleans up to your neck of the oh, woods. Yeah. How I big am, a deal is that for the oh, city? Oh, I am absolutely delighted. You know, I've been to a couple of Collisions. I'm actually a friend of Patty's, and, and uh, I, I've been to a couple of his events. Um, I was actually one of the people that was encouraging him to consider Toronto, although cool. I, I don't think it was necessarily because of me. I think there, a number of things came together in terms of why Toronto is a great fit for him. But yeah, Toronto is really in its golden age. Right? And the golden age is a concept from history. You know, a number of these, you know, Rome had its golden age in like San 100 Francisco. AD or whatever. San Francisco, <laughs> yeah. I believe, is hit, is past its golden age Athens. time. It's in, it's sure. in decline now, sure. uh, relative decline. Um, 
Toronto is in its golden age. Okay. And and it's an exciting time. It's a frenetic time. There's a lot of crazy things. Like our real estate prices are out of control. Our traffic is out of control. There are um, some, there there are more than a thousand Brazilians moving to Toronto. Wow. Every other week. No. So that's just one country, right? So there's people coming from all over the world, um, you know, because there's a number of reasons for it. Uh, for, Even for New Rock, York, not too far away as well. You big market markets. I think there that's it. Well. I think we're close to you know New York, Boston, Washington, whatever. Uh, close to sure. San Francisco. Same time, it's very livable. It's a very livable city. Again, very international city. You know, so if you're coming from from Brazil or Nigeria or whatever, you you can find an area of the city where you'll find all your own people. Like when you go to the area of Toronto where the Brazilians live, all the signs are in Portuguese. Um, you could probably spend the entire day there and never have to speak a word of English. <laughs> so it's different from the kind of melting pot of the United States. Like in, in Canada, people tend to retain their own identities um, a lot more, um, which for, for immigrants is, is a lot of fun. At the same time, the economy's booming, the startup world is booming, um, everyone's hiring, we're paying more and more money for people, we're growing and developing people. So, uh, so it's a very exciting time, but, but it also makes it um, sometimes not that easy to run it. It used to be I had this massive cost advantage um, over my American uh, competitors, talent competitors, I was able to hire amazing people and pay less. That's not true anymore. Okay. Um, we're still able to hire amazing people, but we fight to the death to get them, and we have to pay top dollar now. Sure. What are your one or two superpowers do you, do you think, in your opinion, that's really helped you succeed uh, on a continual basis? If there's one area where I do think I have some skill is that I'm able to see very clearly the way to take something to market. Um, it appears in my, like if you if you're to give me a product, I can imagine how to position it, what the slogan should be, who to sell it, how to sell it, what the pricing should be, and it pops into my mind in an instant. Um, so maybe that's a superpower. If you talk to a number of people who cast a superpower, they say, yeah, I, I'm able to see things that the people don't see. So that so that's one of the things I think that I do pretty well. It all it all it all kind of flows in in my mind. That said, yeah. I'm only one man. And you know, you think that you'd be powerful as a CEO. You're not, actually. Um, and if I were to go to my team and say, I've got it. I know how to get this to market. Whole cascade here. It would it'd be a failure. First of all, it'd be very frustrating for my team. Yeah. Because they need to go through that on their own, right? So this is a big difference between me at Eloqua and Fluted. At Eloqua, I would say, this is the way I think we need to do that. And the I think would be uh, my way of showing that I'm a participative CEO and I really care about your, what you think. But this is what you're going to do. <laughs> but this, essentially, this is what you're going to do. And now I know that that is just fruitless. You can't do that. People have to discover on their own. You have to gently cajole and suggest and ask questions and have people come up with the idea on their own. Um, and sometimes they actually have a better idea than you do, right? Um, and I guess this is one of the things maybe I've acquired with some age and wisdom is, is how to get people to really internalize something and take it on as their own and be just as passionate as you might be. So it, it, it may not be a superpower at all um, because I can't really use it very often. I have to keep it inside. <laughs> Fascinating. Mark Oregon, thanks very much for being on 14 Minutes of Sass. <laughs> Thank you.
the next episode, we remain in Sastaf Dublin, where we interviewed Patrick Campbell, SaaS pricing guru and CEO and founder of ProfitWell. And it'll be part of one of another three-part mini-series when he got tired of working for the intelligence services in the US and learning stuff about the world he'd maybe rather not have found out. He left and eventually set up ProfitWell, a SaaS business for other SaaS businesses who value understanding how to improve the financial metrics underpinning their subscription businesses. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.